Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are bringing another Career Pathways episode to you, which of course is a listener favorite on this show. We are sitting down with Kyle Lee from Alaskan Salmon Company. He's going to talk to us about Copper River Salmon and tell his story of how he started in business finance and then ended up falling in love with wild fisheries and now runs this company. So make sure that you remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every episode automatically downloaded to your device as soon as they're released. Uh, Do you want to reach out to us? Yes, you do. Here's how you do it. Visit (laughs) us at aquaculturealliance.org. Go to the education and resources tab. Halfway down, there's the Aquademia section. Click contact us. Send us an email, podcast at aquaculturealliance.org alliance.org boom do it and follow us on twitter at aquademia pod and while you're at it you might as well give us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on that's right so i hope you enjoy this conversation we had with kyle lee and we will talk to you at the end welcome to the aquademia podcast our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. We desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, we're sitting down with Kyle Lee from Copper River Salmon. Kyle, how's it going? Going very well. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We are really excited to get some wild-caught perspectives on the show today. And this is one of our Career Pathways episode. Kyle is going to share his story. He's got a pretty interesting path that he took to get to where he is now. And then we'll talk a little bit about Copper River Salmon and what you guys are up to. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, Kyle, take it away. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Why why are you here? (laughs) Sure. Awesome. Um, my name is Kyle Lee. I am uh, the founder and captain over at Alaskan Salmon Company, and well, we are we are a e-commerce a seafood store. But you know, to start it off and how I got into this, I think I really um, ought to start with my parents. They immigrated over from Taiwan back in the late seventies, and you know, they have a very similar story to many immigrants, where you know they were hustling, they worked multiple jobs. Um, and when they had me, you know, in Alaska, born and raised in Alaska, when they had me, you know, they were still working in the restaurants and I was, um, they owned a couple of restaurants and I was, you know, essentially raised there. So, you know, my parents would be making egg rolls or like working the cash register. I'd be strapped on my mom's back and just like walking around. So naturally <laughs> just being raised in that environment, you know, once I became older, I started paying attention to how they're communicating with each other, the things that they were focused on. Um, and I think I was very fortunate to, you know, really learn fiscal responsibility, you know, at a pretty young age and also that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, to take risks. Um, and then, yeah, as I grew up, you know, fast forward, going through high school, went to college. Um, and then during the summer of college, I had a buddy of mine get into commercial fishing. You know, and then at the time, you know, the deadliest catch and there's so many shows about Alaska and Alaska was just so hot, right? I was going to school in Colorado. My buddy, it, you know, told me, Hey, my dad just bought a boat permit. We're going to be fishing. I was like, Oh, that sounds awesome. I'd love to come out for a week. I just want to check it out. You know? So 
uh, during that if, summer if break. If you don't mind me back. asking, what were you studying when you were in college? Yeah, so I went to the University of Colorado and I got my degree in business finance. Okay, yeah. So not anything specific to seafood. No, no, not at all. And so, um, yeah, I, I went out there for a week and it was just absolutely gorgeous. You know, summertime's in Alaska, the sun doesn't go down and it's so sunny and you're just out on a boat, right? In the water fishing with like one of your best friends. And then we were catching a ton of fish and making money. I was like, this is awesome. You know, that, that week flew by um, and not showering didn't really bother me. Um, but it was definitely something new to me for not shower for a whole week, but getting um, sprayed with salt water every now and then doesn't count. (laughs) Actually, it did wonders for my skin, you know, the the natural minerals. There you go. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah. So after that week, um, then the the following summer or before the summer season started, I texted, I was like, Hey man, like if you need an actual deckhand for the full season, like I'm all in, you know, I, you don't even have to pay me. I just want to do it. It was just so much fun. Um, so I went and fished a whole season with him. And then, you know, we had a blast. Then I went back to my senior year of college and graduated. And then it came to, you know, this time where I had to make a decision. I had been, you know, doing internships during the school year for my last junior and senior year. And then when I graduated, I had a couple job offers in Colorado. And it was either... You know, do I accept these positions or do I go back home to Alaska and fish? And being raised in a traditional, you know, Taiwanese house, my parents were extremely strict. You know, as you can imagine, very stereotypical on your studies. Like, um, so it wasn't, I didn't really like keep them involved in my decision-making process or like I was even considering it. You know, so I kind of, I molded over for a while. I called I called a couple of buddies, um, some guys that I had met in the commercial fishing side as well, and kind of, hey, what are your guys' thoughts on, you know, someone new jumping into the fishery? Everyone said, don't do it. You don't have enough experience. I was like, okay. But I love it. It's a ton of fun, you know. So finally, I think, you know, a stroke of luck happened, but there was a gentleman in the Copper River fishery who was retiring, and he put his boat and permit for sale. Okay, that's got to be a sign. So I, you know, ended up going all in. I said no to the job. I took out a state loan from, or I took a loan out from the state of Alaska, and I ended up buying the boat permit and just went all in there. But so if you can just recap the whole thing, I, I bought into a commercial fishery, took on a ton of debt with one summer's worth of fishing experience, which probably isn't super safe, but. You know, I knew I was a pretty determined guy. I was young, and I, you know, when you're young, you think you're invincible. You can do anything. Um, and yeah, I just knew I, I, I really... actually want to. Yeah, I want to go back real quick to the um, the the folks that were in the industry that said no, don't don't do it. You have you don't have the experience and all that stuff. I feel like that goes kind of hand in hand. We've talked on the podcast before about this kind of romantic outlook uh, air around the wild caught fishery industry, right? We've talked about this, right, Justin? Mm-hmm. Where there's there's a romance associated with that job, and I feel like it's like, you know, I, that is what you experience feels to me like a direct result of that. Like, you know, you you don't join this industry you're born into it you know you it has you have to come from like generations of of fishermen where the hobby or not the hobby the you know the the job the career is passed down from 
generation to generation. And I, I think that's part of that kind of long romantic history of the industry. But um, it's cool to hear a story of someone who just, hey, I want to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out how to do this for, for my job. And I think that's really kind of cool. Uh, I applaud you for that because I can see how it's it could be an intimidating industry to get into because there is that air of like tradition and you know you 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 you're a fisherman because your dad was a fisherman and your grandpa was a fisherman and your blah 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 all the way back you know hundreds of millions of years back to the caveman my caveman ancestors <laughs> were were hitting fish with rocks so I think it's really admirable that you were were willing to jump in. And uh, and just do that with with little experience. So I just wanted to point that out. Please continue. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's very true. You know, a lot of guys there. You know, multi three four generational fishermen. They've yeah been there since inception of the fishery. So yeah, I definitely had these challenges jumping in. Um, you know, not really knowing anyone and ha not having those resources. But um, yeah, let's see where where were we? Oh, talking about how you know I asked for mentorship and like yeah what they thought about it and they're like yeah right. don't do it. And also at the time, partly why I thought it was a good idea to buy into commercial fishing, besides the fact that I loved it, was that year I had deckhanded was like a peak run. Like we had caught so many fish and it was just so much fun that I was like, oh, this is like pretty easy. Yeah. And I was like, you didn't oh, experience like, the, the, the other side of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, so, you know, that forced like the appreciation, the value of all the permits and everything to, increase so they were actually like record prices too so that's you know from their perspective like oh yeah like if you buy in you're gonna take on a ton of debt and you know you gotta you gotta factor like how much do you think you're gonna like realistically make what's the payback period um and they're like you know from a business standpoint you probably shouldn't do it i was like okay i'm gonna do it anyway thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i mean if you have the you know if you have the drive and you have the passion for it of course you got to yeah. go for it when you, when you see the opportunity, you got to go for it. Yeah. <clears throat> and absolutely. And, um, yeah, even in addition to fishing that, you know, the commercial fishing aspect of it, I was, you know, before that I was going to school and after that first summer I would bring back, you know, like 50 pounds of salmon. I played soccer for the university. So like we'd always have family meals with the team. I'd always cook salmon, um, you know, and receive great feedback from the guys, you know, like, Oh, we love the salmon, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what do college guys know about good food? But, right. <laughs> you know, well, so, ramen, ramen noodles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then it wasn't until I ran out of all the salmon that I brought back. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to go buy some more. Um, yeah, I went to a local grocery store and I pulled up to the, the fish counter. I was like, why does this fish, why does this salmon not look like the salmon I had brought? Like, what's going on here? You know, it's marked as Alaskan salmon, but it does not look like the salmon in my freezer. And so I knew I had a, you know, there's a, there could potentially be an opportunity there um, to provide a better quality of salmon. So I, you know, I had that in the back of my mind, kind of as my plan going, buying into the commercial fishing. And so after that, that first year, you know, instead of the traditional like commercial fishing, fishermen, they'll catch the fish and they sell it off to the local processors there. And then they go down to distributors, wholesalers and whatnot. But I was like, well, why don't I just go directly to people who are, you know, want to eat it, you know, the end consumer. So I was thinking, okay, I'm new to the fishery. I'm not the best fisherman. Um, so I'm not catching a lot. So I really got to maximize my efforts. So I really started focusing on, okay, who do I think is going to care about having the best quality fish, Michelin restaurants and sushi chefs. 
you know, so typed in on Google, top, top sushi restaurants, um, and I just started cold calling. And then couldn't get, get a hold of anyone. Those, you know, the hosts are extremely good at screening people. They can really tell who's legit and who's not. So, you know, all the cold calls got screened immediately. And I was like, I know I have a good product. Like, they would love it. I shouldn't let someone like, like this is just like one tiny barrier. Like, all right, whatever. Uh, I looked up where the greatest density were of those restaurants that I had called, which was like in DC. And so I just bought a ticket down there um, and just showed up at their door. I just like walked up and I was like, hey, like I have a meeting with, you know, chef so-and-so. And if all you need is like one minute in front of them, right? And be like, hey, I'm actually commercial fishing. I can send this directly to you. Like, what do you say? Mm-hmm. And then, so wait, so, did you uh, actually have an appointment with them? Or did no, you just say that? Nice. No, I just said that. Nice. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't fly across the country just to get screened at the door. Hell no. I was like, yeah, yeah. I, for sure. I have a meeting with him. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And then, yeah. Did you, and then, did you see success from that? Did you see have any luck with that? Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, like essentially everyone we had spoken to was on, at least willing to try. You know, they love the story. They love going. And, you know, if our, from a business standpoint, if our prices are competitive with everyone else, but if we're providing a, a fish that's much higher in quality, why not? Like, right. you know, they can use it long. They have more to utilize. There's no product waste from like any damaged fish or anything like that. They're able to utilize everything that they buy. You know, instead of like if they're buying 10 pounds, they can use the full 10. Rather, rather than like you know, only seven pounds of it. Right, like and w- were those customers able to see a drop in price because it's cutting out all the middlemen, the distributors, and the processors and stuff? So that's where. So yeah, they there was a reduce in price. You know, it was a little bit cheaper for them, and then but also like we still incur a decent amount of cost because when we process our fish, it's all processed like in the U.S. Like all of our, you know, laborers they're paid U.S. wages. We have. Uh, like workers comp and things like that relative to some of the larger canneries, you know, you know, they're volume based, just different business model, right? They're extremely cost conscious. They can export overseas and have, you know, cheaper labor to process their fish before bringing it back to the U S. So it's, um, yeah, a slightly different business model. Um, but we found that, you know, in the instances we weren't able to beat their prices, they were typically willing to pay, a premium for, <clears throat> excuse me, a premium for our fish just because the quality was there. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, no, it, it went really well. And, you know, after that, we, I mean, we didn't have a market for budgeting. A lot of it was just like essentially word of mouth doing the same like I did the first year. I'd fly to an area mm-hmm. and I would have meetings with chefs. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's how we started and you know, really built the business. That's pretty bold. Did you have a name? <laughs> For the business at this yeah, point? Yeah, it was just Alaskan Salmon Company. Okay. Yeah, very Surprising simple. Surprising that so that I, was, like, available. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> while I was, you know, doing paperwork for that loan permit, I was like, okay, well, I need a business name. I just, like, started looking stuff up and um, just looking at domains and what was available. And, yeah, Alaskan Salmon Company. I was like, how is this available? Yeah. All right? of the stars I, aligned for this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like... <laughs> You know it's what I'd love to, to hear be. about? I would love to hear about, oh, so when you, when uh, this guy was retiring and he put his, his boat and his permit up for sale and you jumped on that, I would love to hear about your first trip out on that boat. Oh my God. That's, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. It was <laughs> the very first trip out after I bought the boat, you know, 
honestly, I didn't do a ton of planning. I just knew I wanted to do this and I love being out in the water and I love fishing. I was like, okay, everything else, it can't be that hard. First day of fishing, you know, well, when I got the boat, you know, I had some problems wherever we had a mechanic fix it. But the very first day of commercial fishing, I got, you know, we're, our fishery is heavily regulated, you know, by state fishing game. So they let us know where mm-hmm. and when we can fish. Um, and then so they, they send out these announcements that have the GPS coordinates. And then I, re- I got this, like, I don't know how to read GPS coordinates. Like, I grew up, like, <laughs> working in an office, oh, like, no. in a desk. You know, like, uh, it's not necessarily something they teach you in like business and finance school. And I I was like, I don't know what this means. I have no friends. I was like, um, okay. So (laughs) I got the boat ready for fishing. I was like, okay, I'm just going to wait in the Harbor. I'm just going to stay ready. And once I see boats head now, I'm just going to follow them. (laughs) Wow. And so yeah, that first opener, a ton of boats started leaving. I was like, oh, time to go. Started the engines and just left the harbor and just followed a group of guys. And, you know, like fishing, <laughs> no one wants to share their fishing spots. Like right. if they're in a good area, like they'll guard it with their lives. So I'm sure like these guys are like, who the hell is this guy? Like, why is he following me all the way across? And but I mean, I had no, I had no other option. Like I had to. But it feels um, like it would have it would have made a great episode of one of those reality shows on like Nat Geo or Discovery. <laughs> Sean, the amount of mistakes and that I've done, yeah, I'd probably make a pretty good, pretty good bit on one of those shows. That's pretty funny. That's great. I mean, you got to fake it till you make it, you know. So I, I'm guessing over time, you know, you got more and more comfortable with all the the processes and the instrumentation and everything. Are you still going out and and, and fishing regularly? Um, yes, not not full time, but I'll still try to make it out there. The business has grown where it's you know kind of become unsustainable for me to fish full-time and run the business. Um, there was like that middle growing stage where I had to do that. And I just couldn't, I wasn't doing well in either or, you know, I was just like treading water on both sides. And I was like, okay, well I have to, uh, right. I have to really focus on this. So when I have time, I love to go out and fish, but, but now that, you know, we're getting busier, I spend a lot of my time like on shore. Right. Well, you, you can't spread yourself too thin. It's- yeah. Justin, did you have? You look like you had something. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I don't know enough about the fisheries to, to understand the the permits. So when a fisherman is ready to get rid of his fishing vessel, we'll call it, I guess, yeah. and it, the permit, why does that go hand in hand? And is that because there's only a limited number, and so it's almost like you're on a wait list? And if that's the case, is it possible just to buy that retired fisherman's permit and not the vessel? If I'm just a little confused about, maybe you can explain how that works a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, every like fishery in Alaska is a little bit different, but for salmon, it is a limited entry permit. So for the Copper River area, there's around 500 permits, you know, set by the state. They can't make or offer any more than that. So whatever is out there, you know, you've got to buy it off someone. And, but you, yeah, you're right. You don't have to buy both as a package. You don't have to buy the boat and permit. You could just buy the permit if you already have a boat or, you know, whatever. Um, but me coming from a blank slate, I didn't have either or. So it was perfect to do just one transaction with one guy. I was able to use yeah. one loan for that. Um, so it, it really worked out for me, but yeah, there's tons of guys who will, you know, they'll just sell their boat they're looking to upgrade their boat or if they, yeah, just want to buy a permit. 
you can definitely do that. So do you have to, I'm assuming the permit is good for a very long time, but you just have to probably pay like renewal fees just to keep it active? Yeah, yeah, it's good for perpetuity. Like, you know, as long as, yeah, you just have to pay that annual fee. Yeah. That's that. Can you imagine if it were like just like every year in New Hampshire for like recreational fishing, we have to just buy a permit? Can you imagine if there was a limited number of those permits, Justin? And then every year well, it was so like, you, know what, you, you gotta like fight to the death to try and get one. Well, I, the I don't know why. The trading post would be out the door yeah. on the morning it opened. <laughs> Seriously. My, and I don't know why my brain goes directly to this, but we have mug clubs, which I don't know if that's popular in Alaska, but at a bar you can, they have them hanging and it's like this specialty club, right? That, oh, I'm, I'm a member, Hammy Mug 202, but it's, it's, there's only a certain amount. Say there's only 300 mugs. And I don't know if you even get a discount on your beer when you fill up your <laughs> mug, but if you decide to not, you don't want to be a member anymore, I, I, and you say, hey, who wants to, it's either a really long wait list or people just go into all out brawls to like win this, this, this prestigious mug club. Um, it's, I don't know why that's what my mind went to. I just know that you have to wait a really long time. There's not that very many permits or and all you get is like right. half price off a growler once a month. Like, yeah. The, yeah. Is well, there no benefit to the mug? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm on a 50 year wait list. So if I'm still oh, alive, then I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> No, it's it's that it's the um you know being able to to say being able to go up to the bar and say that one number three hundred fifty two that's my mug, it's that's all it is it's a trophy. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't make it to the part in your story where you went from direct sales to restaurants to e-commerce. What yeah. made you make that transition? Yeah. And how so... did that happen? How does that? I don't know too much about e-commerce. It's still something I'm still kind of starting to collect information on and uh so i'm curious how that all works me too yep still learning me too um, <laughs> <Good> to <know. laughs> um so Good yeah e-commerce we started we wanted to move in that direction a few years ago you know just because i i knew this was an awesome salmon i was always sharing it with my friends and family people loved it you know getting fantastic feedback from the chefs i was like you know people you know we're very fortunate in alaska that we have access to such a beautiful resource Right. And like a lot of times we take it for granted, but I know like people in the lower 48, they might not, right. They might not, you know, come up to Alaska too often or, you know, there's, it's not available at their local grocery store. So I was like, there's definitely a need for this. Um, how do we get it to them? You know, the best way is, yeah, you know, online sales. I, you know, just for my parents, uh, you know, their restaurant is it, located in the Fifth Avenue Mall here in Anchorage. So I had seen like what had happened to retail. You know, when the internet first came on, people were like, how can you ever buy shoes or how could you ever buy clothes online if you can't try it on? Like, that's never going right. to work. I still but feel now, that way to a degree. <laughs> but now, like, yeah, retail is dead. Like 50, 60 percent of revenue comes from online sales for those categories. So, I thought, OK, easy. I'm going to build a website, you know, just like when I bought into commercial fishing. I was like, oh, this will be easy. I'll build a website, um, you know, and people will start ordering. and I'll start shipping it. No problem. But. Once I built the website, I realized, wow, no one is coming. I have no traffic. <laughs> the only people visiting is like me and like my mom. You know, <laughs> and then so like I had saved up. Some... Did you force her to buy stuff? <laughs> I was like, mom, go like my post. Go view it on your iPad too. Get more views. Um, do they do they serve salmon at their restaurant? Can you at least supply to them? You know, through it. No, <laughs> I could, but so their restaurant is one's Chinese food and the other one is Thai food. Such. So 
chopsticks in Thai garden. Um, but it's just not that protein is typically not served in. Right. Yeah. Um, That's too but bad. no, it, it would have been <laughs> cool to work with my parents like that. So let's see. So yeah, we met, after that first website, I, you know, started doing more research online and realized, okay, I essentially just, just made a website, but no one can see it. There's no, nothing leading Google searches here. There's no SEO. There's nothing telling people that we're open. Um, and you know, at that time it was tough because our fishing season is so short, you know, it can range from one to five months every summer. So we like for me to, I didn't have a ton of capital to store up a bunch of inventory to be able to try this out. So I, you know, every year I'd take, you know, a couple hundred pounds and I'd try to sell it online. Um, so that first year it was a bust. Clearly no one bought any salmon. Um, and then, so every year after that, we would kind of iterate and like learn and try something to like make it better. You know, we added SEO or like Google ads to that the following year. And that was a lot more difficult than I thought as well. Um, and it's just like every year we kind of just like learned a little bit step by step, but we still knew we wanted to go that direction. Like people still need salmon. People still need to have option. People need to be educated on what type of food they're providing for their family. And, you know, that was something I was really passionate about and something I wanted to continue to do, even though we had failed so many times. And so we just kept going and kept learning. And then, you know, now after all those years of, you know, kind of trial and error, we felt we were, you know, we were confident enough to be able to, okay, this is what it's going to take to launch an e-commerce site. And, you know, fortunately we were like, already digitally native everything we do is online so it's really easy for us to make you know add that leg into our you know majority b2b business and go directly and offer that d2c service um and so once we really felt confident you know just went all in on that and and it's uh yeah proven really well we've had you know awesome feedback from our customers and it's been so great interacting with them and to be able to share this amazing salmon i wonder too about if there's an advantage because of your location and i think of other places and how maybe marketing certain products may be a little bit easier just when you say alaskan salmon you just all all you i think of oh that's got to be just premium when i think of maple syrup i think of vermont when i think of lobster i think of maine things like that so i i i I wonder if that that helps a little bit for people, especially who are searching for a specific things. So if there is mm-hmm. someone on the East Coast looking for that specific product, probably one of their main search words would be Alaskan salmon. I'm just throwing it out yeah. there. Just wondering. Yeah, no, it, it, you're right. It is, uh, you know, kind of a niche, right, if you will, like if you're thinking about it like that. But there's just there's so many people who offer it, right? There's a ton of wholesalers, you know, yeah. like Costco. Whole Foods, a lot of online providers who are offering it. So, you know, once we actually started diving into it, it was, you know, it's very competitive landscape. I was um, actually in Alaska last week, funny enough. Really? And yeah, my, I have a bunch of family that live up there and my cousin was getting married. They all live in Anchorage. And oh, Roundtree. No, it, actually. Oh, I was like, oh, my buddy just got married last week. Okay. That would be crazy. No, they got married at um, this place called the alaskan rugby grounds it's like up in the mountains it was really beautiful but we ate so much salmon while we were there (laughs) and it was 
so different from the salmon that we have at home. So I know exactly, like it's like fresh in my memory how different it actually is. Like, was it was it Copper it, River salmon? I don't know. It you probably haven't, you could haven't become have been. that person yet when you go to a wedding or something and you ask the people where it comes from. <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite there not, yet, I mean I really should be with seafood, time. but I'm not. But <laughs> it, it's crazy, like how different it is from seafood around here and also you mentioned the fifth avenue mall i was there last week so i can like picture it perfectly that's awesome that's so cool um yeah what a good timing it's kind of cloudy this week but last week was really nice oh my gosh we could not have gotten more lucky with the weather it was like 65 sunny every single day i don't think it rained the entire time we were there yeah um what are your i don't know if you can say this or want to but like what are your cousin's names I feel it's They're, so small here. Like I might you know. You probably could know them. My cousins' names are Regan Marin and Molly Marin. We went to high school together. You went to Diamond? Yeah. Diamond Molly was like Regan played. Yeah, he was a year younger than me. He played soccer. Yep. Yeah, he played soccer. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. That's this is so insane. Funny. Yeah, Molly it, just got married last weekend. That's insane. Congrats. I'll have to shoot her a message. <laughs> That is That's so insane. funny. For any of our listeners, I want you to know this was this whole thing was not planned. This is completely <laughs> serendipitous. That's crazy. Alaska is wow. such a small world. It's it's crazy. That's yeah, it really funny. is. No, that's cool. Um, that's awesome. Those are some of the most Irish names I've heard in a very long time, Maddie. <laughs> it's actually Hispanic. Oh, that's funny. Well, Molly and Regan aren't obviously, yeah. but Marin is Hispanic. So I I want to talk about. The Copper River. What makes this river the best place to get salmon? Like, why, why, why is what what sets this river apart and makes ma- makes it produce such high quality fish? Yeah, yeah. I um, before I dive into, that, I just want to say, like, I think all Alaska seafood is great, and I think that you know, if people yeah, I guess the have best access wasn't to the like best. good quality, <laughs> it wasn't the best term, um, is, but but yeah, you know, all Alaska seafood is great, but you know, what kind of sets Copper River apart from the other regions is just like the natal spawning grounds. So how how salmon work is like, you know, they're born in fresh water, they're born in these rivers, and then they migrate out and they live majority of their lives in the ocean. <clears throat> but they have such an acute sense of smell. It's something insane. It's like one drop in like 50,000 gallons of water is what they, they're able to de- detect that. So like when when they know it's ready to go home and spawn, they just follow that trail you know, that sent all the way back home to the Copper River. And the actual Copper River itself is like, is over 300 miles long of like ice cold glacier water. Um, and so for them, in order for them to make that journey all the way back up 300 miles, they have to store up a lot of fat. They have to eat a ton of food out in the ocean to be able to have like that energy reserves to make it. You know, and because of that, because of, that insulation of fat that they have, they're able to travel back a little bit earlier than the other salmon runs. So the Copper River is actually, you know, it's the first wild salmon run of the year. So there's, you know, there's that, you know, uh, interest right there. People have gone all winter without fresh salmon. So it's the first in line right there. And then in addition to the additional fat content that they carry. I'm just trying, I'm trying to look up some pictures because uh, first of all, this place is gorgeous. I, 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 we don't have like big rivers here in New Hampshire. <laughs> and so I'm trying to get a picture in my mind of like 
a, a river large enough to like have a, a fishing vessel out there. It's just, yeah, so it's, it's actually we're not actually fishing in the actual river. So if you if you've got that map pulled up, you know, if you look up Copper River and you'll see that yep. it feeds, you know, just follow it south, it feeds into the Gulf of Alaska. So yep. in that like right on the shoreline where you'll see a bunch of little islands is the Copper River Delta. Oh, okay. So that's where we're fishing. We're fishing right where uh, you know, the ocean meets that fresh water. So I don't know yep. if you guys have ever seen those pictures on social media where there's two bodies of water right next to it. They're just polarizing in color. Like one's green and like one's like dark brown. That's, that's essentially where we fish. So like that brown murky water is like all the silt being pulled out from the river, meeting that fresh ocean water. Awesome. Now, do you fish there for, and I'm just making wild guesses here, because you can't get the fishing vessel up further, or is there restrictions to where you can fish? Um, you know, once they're in their spawning area, I'm sure you probably don't want to be pulling them out. I mean, I don't know. Uh, or is this, or where you're fishing in the Delta area, is that just the prime spot to be? I imagine the yeah. further up the river they go, the more they've exhausted that energy storage and the fat and stuff. So yeah, they're probably not true. in as good shape. I mean, I've seen pictures of salmon by the time they reach their spawning grounds, they're like decomposing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's essentially what they're doing. Because yeah, once they once they hit, once they hit fresh water, they stop feeding. They their whole body changes. They're you know going, you know, reproducing mode. Got to make it home. Got to mm-hmm. make it home. Um, but there's a lot of components to that question. Um, so to answer, why do we fish out in the delta, out in the ocean like that? Um, we want to ensure that there's going to be a you know a salmon run for future generations. You know. Salmon is something more than just, uh, you know, like a livelihood, you know, for us Alaskans. It's like in our culture, a lot of these coastal communities, um, you know, don't have access to like, you know, a traditional grocery store. So a lot of the food and proteins that they have all winter is what they're able to catch themselves during the summertime. So a lot of these Alaskan Native communities, you know, they rely on these salmon runs and it's been like that for centuries. So so that's why we're not plugging up the actual river because as you can imagine, the ocean is very vast. So if we're all spread out in the ocean, it gives the fish plenty of opportunity to get by. We're not overfishing, you know, cause it's like a funnel. Once they get into the river, they're all condensed in there. You know, it's not a fair advantage. Um, and so, but you know, like I mentioned earlier, we're regulated like where and how, how much we can fish by the state. So that's a separate story, but. That was my next um, question is, yeah. is that kind of like, sustainability initiative enforced by the government as well with the permits and the quota and quotas. Yeah. And yep. Absolutely. So this year, you know, is a good example. So we had an extremely cold spring. So there's, you know, still a lot of glaciers. There's still a lot of snow up river and how fish and game monitor, they'll set sonars up river that will count how many fish are making it by the actual commercial fishermen on a daily basis. Um, and since it was so cold, they weren't able to install one of the sonars. So we were only catching half, or we, we were only counting half the amount of fish on a daily rate. Um, so they, obviously we know there's more fish coming up, but we, they have to rely on the numbers. They have to operate on the numbers. So actually this year we had fished for, uh, three periods. So three 12 hour periods. And then they saw that the numbers were not looking as strong as where they would like it to be because we didn't have that equipment in, they still shut us down for two weeks just for the sake of sustainability. Like, Hey, we know that there's fish going up, but we have to follow the data. Mm-hmm. And so the data is a little bit soft right now. So we're going to shut us down. 
Um, and then, so they let that, you know, all, all that fish to go up river until we started hitting our goals again. And we were able to install that second sonar. Then once we hit our projected, you know, escapement number, then they opened us back up again for another limited 12 hours. So when something like that happens, wow. do, do you see, what's the response? Like, I, is there, is it overwhelmingly more like people understand and they're grateful because they are on the side of the sustainable fishery or is it is there frustration and, and anger towards it? What What is the general response when something like that happens? Yeah, I think you'll find people on both sides. Yeah, I would imagine. You know, and, you know, from my perspective, I've, I've you know, a lot of these guys who have been multi-generational, like that's like their main source of income that their family has ever, like they, they survive off these fisheries. Um, and then, you know, I feel like I bring a, a fresh perspective, but when they shut us down, I wasn't upset. I was like, this is the right thing to do. You know, like we don't, even though we are confident that the fish are going up, there's no downside, you know, to, to being safe. There's right? just going to be more in the future. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think you get mixed reviews on that. And that's interesting. It's so interesting that it's so immediate. Like they make these calls super quickly. They look at the data and then they make their decision. I feel like I'm I'm not as familiar with fisheries around here, but I feel like things are way less. I mean, they're they're definitely regulated, but it's not such an immediate back and forth situation like that. I think it depends on what it is, Maddie, cuz um when I used to teach the auditor training courses for BAP, I used to teach some of some of those sections and I would do the the muscle standard or the was it just mussels? Was it all shellfish? Shellfish standard, I think. And uh, one big thing was biotoxins in mussels, and they they're testing like regularly, and then they they need to make these calls right away. Like if they detect a biotoxin in a certain area where there's mussels being grown and harvested, um, they got to get that word out right away, and just everyone shut down and stop. And and because biotoxins are not something that you can like cook out of your food, like it mm-hmm. it's it's toxic to you. You're, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna get that toxicity in you if you eat that shellfish. And so it's really super important that they shut that down right away. And so I think it really depends on the specific scenario and species and the body of water and stuff like that. But um, it is pretty crazy to think about how on top of these kind of things that that uh, the regulators can are sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> yeah, I think that's something a lot of people you know might know about Alaska fisheries is how we're so meticulously managed like right. that. So they give us uh, a 17 hour notice of when we can fish. So they're, they're putting out reports like two or three times a day about the fish. And so wow. those guys have a tough job over the summer because the yeah. fish never stop running. Right. So yeah, our fishing game they're they bust their ass and they're just, you know, just diving deep into the numbers and making sure that they're there and, you know, you know, for the well being for everybody. Wow. That's awesome. And you, it's, I, I feel like the, the industries that you know about, like Justin, you said, you know, when you think of lobster, you think of Maine, right? You have these, yep. it, these certain industries where it's like they're representative of the species for a reason. And they're known as like the top quality for that species. And that's I, I, a lot of times what you'll learn or what I've observed is that those industries are the ones that do a really good job of this regulation uh, for sustainability and stuff. We've talked in our, in, a very early on episode about the lobster fishery in Maine and and how they've been in the past they've been kind of uh, one of the poster children for sustainability because they're self-regulating in that 
regard. They, they from the beginning, they were always like they had a, a minimum size that you could collect, and they had a maximum size that you could collect because they didn't want to take too many hardy, you know, survivors out there. And so they've been really good at, at regulating themselves, and they've built this industry into such a strong, high quality industry that it is known as the place to get lobster from. And I feel like those two things. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you see those going hand in hand. Yeah, I think one other piece to add on to that, Sean, would be just the geographical area. So it's right. a combination of the sustainability, the, the the practices, but also just the area is very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like ideal. They thrive. Lobster, for example, in Maine thrive right. in the conditions. I I don't know how relevant that is here in 2021 with the warming of the oceans you know i don't know if maybe that's more up in nova scotia or, or whatnot but same with salmon in alaska i would think too right but you got to think of some of the other other industries that have not as uh admirable connotations around them like the the cod fishery in massachusetts was super overfished for a really long time cod is in massachusetts is where the cod are you know that's that that's like what it's known as cape cod and um <laughs> they they were just so so overfished that uh it got kind of a you know, a negative uh, rap for that in that fishery. So I think I think it takes some discipline and some really good regulation to really build that. Not even just the trust, but the reliability, and then also you know the quality as well. So I just and I, I just think part think of it's a... also the willingness of the people that are working in the fishery to go along with things. I right. think that that has to be a huge part of it too. I wish we weren't actually uh, running up on our time constraint here because oh, okay. i have a ton, ton more a ton more questions I, I, no we don't just rent we won't just shut off but i do have a bunch of questions and i gotta try to prioritize them so i can at least get half of them in <laughs> but what would you say the learning curve was for you because you, you you had this experience and then it became excitement and now it's a, a passion but you you jumped in even when people were saying eh, i don't know if you want to really do this and you said no, I, I do, and you, you took and for any of our listeners that listen to these career pathways episode, and I've said it multiple times on the podcast, there is a moment when someone tells their story, where it's like the crossroads, right? You have to make a choice, and it's not an easy choice sometimes because you have to make it's a gamble, and there could be some big consequences if it doesn't go the way that you plan. And obviously, we have career pathways guests on because their career went in a positive way. So we can only see that in, in our episodes. But if you were to talk to someone else that was in that's in your shoes, maybe uh, where they're just starting out and they're in there, maybe they want to explore this industry. What would advice would you give them? But also, could you talk a little bit about what the learning curve was for you? And, and how long did it take before you felt comfortable and almost like one of the you, you just you felt like you belonged like you said you were following out the boats in the beginning mm -hmm. trying to figure out things like maybe talk a little bit about that yeah um so like learning curves and you know since we're you know talking about career pathways and addressing people who might want to try something new to the step before you know making that leap into like for me leaping into commercial fishing you're right there's always that one pivotal moment and i think the most crucial thing i can tell people is you know yourself better than anybody else and i think if you're trying to consider what you want to do for a career even though it's very difficult to block out the white noise you i think you really have to truly understand yourself and like what gets you going you know what drives you like you can't just be thinking about money right that's that's not good right so i think do the best that you can you know try to 
yeah, like I said, black out the exterior noise and do what's best for you. And the thing is, is life. We're meant to make mistakes. We're meant to learn and try new things. So, you know, if you want to try something, I say do it, you know, lean into it and commit and give it the best effort you can. And that way, if it doesn't go as you expected, now, you know, 100% without a doubt, Hey, I tried this, but it wasn't for me. You can move on to the next one with full conviction, not have any reservation, like, you know, five years, like, Oh, I wish I would have done that. You know, yeah. that'll eat you alive too. avoid the what you ifs know, fear of missing out. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, so yeah, going into the learning curve, first and foremost was just navigating a boat and understanding how the waters worked. So that same, same day, that I drove out, I followed people on the way back. You know, it's a gorgeous day. I'm out. So we have two steering wheels, one on the inside, one on the outside. I'm driving on the outside. I'm driving back to port. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's, we're fishing out in the ocean. So I just don't think about like land masses underneath the water. You know, I'm just like, oh, if there's water, I should be able to drive my boat over there. No problem. It just shows like how naive I was. But anyway, gorgeous day. I'm outside, like just driving. Head back to town and I look down and I can see shells. Like we're in like six inches of water. Like I can see the ground floor, but if you don't know, you don't know. I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Like, this is amazing. Like the sun's out. Like I just came back from commercial fishing. Like this is a great day. Like I'm just driving like, and no one's around me. Like all of a sudden I see like, we're all driving back together. Right? I'm following a group and all of a sudden everyone just splits off around me. I was like, <laughs> Uh oh, maybe uh -oh. something's wrong. But I, and I looked down, I was like, oh, this is gorgeous. Like, look at all those shells. Like, this is so cool. Like, and then at the meantime, my radio is going off on the inside. People are calling, like, hey, like, it's super shallow. Like, don't drive over there. You know, they're all looking out for each other. Like, oh, you know, nice. they're calling my boat name. Hey, Mitsu, like, don't go over there. Blah, blah. Like, it's super shallow. Fortunately, I made it all the way back. Didn't stick, didn't hit anything. But, uh, I came back and buddies were telling me like, dude, people were going nuts for you on the radio. You definitely shouldn't have been driving over there. <laughs> That's hilarious. So like the biggest They're trying to flag like, you down. Whoop. You're just yeah. waving to yeah. them. Like, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just really operating a boat, you know, just maintaining it. That was the biggest learning curve for me. Like I mentioned, I worked in the office, like, you know, I was like a desk jockey all throughout, you know, my jobs growing up. So I had never changed oil, like not even in my car. So I didn't know how to do any maintenance. Things break all the time in boat. I didn't know how to fix anything. I was on the verge of calling Coast, like a Mayday Coast Guard call, I feel like every single day. Um, but, you know, you just like learn and um, yeah, you grow. Yeah, I feel there'd be a huge learning curve from understanding just, just so much to learn. Uh, I just, well, I won't get into that story because we're running low on time, but um, I don't know if any... Sean or Maddie, if you have anything else. Yeah, I have one last question for you, Kyle. So now that we've gone over kind of how you've gotten to where you are, what's next? What is next for Alaskan Salmon Company? What's next for you? Where do you see things going in the near future? Yeah, we want, uh, you know, essentially we want to keep doing what we're doing. I think we're, you know, doing some fantastic things and being able to interact directly with the customer is awesome. And we want to continue to provide transparency into our fishery and, you know, like doing things like this podcast to talk about it, bring more exposure because, you know, as you guys are all aware and as a lot of our listeners, it's kind of an archaic industry and it's kind of hard to have access to really understand what's going on. 
So that's something that we really want to continue to do is just provide ed education and value and content of like whatever people want to know about it. And that way they can make more informed decisions about the seafoods that they're buying. They can really know like, oh, okay, this salmon, you know, might not be the best for my family. I, maybe I should go for, you know, a different type. And just like really knowing where the source is. I think that's really, you know, we're, we're getting short on time. Like Justin said, we could probably talk for a much, <laughs> a much longer time. But um, I want to give you this opportunity to kind of tell our listeners how they can get in contact with you or where, you know, how they can find you guys on the website, how they can get some of your product. Any, any specific uh, places they should be going? Just yeah, the floor I, is yours once again. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Um, yeah. If you guys want to learn more about, you know, Copper River Salmon or our fishery, you can head, head to our website, um, aksalmonco.com. And, you know, other than that, just, you know, send us an email. Yeah, if you guys got any questions, my email is kyle at aksalmonco.com or I'm actually on a texting basis with a lot of the people who've bought salmon from us. And you can give me a call or shoot me a text. Uh, that works too. All right. do you, I don't know, do, for, for your podcast, do you guys put like a little excerpt with like all that information that they can find? Or We'll, we'll have all that information in the show notes. As, yeah, for sure. Cool. And I want to make a note to people that it's, it's aksalmonco.com, not aksalmon.com. That's, that's a different website. I just went there. That's not the one you want. Yep. Aksalmonco.com. <laughs> and we will like um like we said, we'll we'll put all of that contact information in the show notes as well. So awesome. Maddie, Justin, if you guys don't have anything else, I guess we'll wrap it up. Just thank you for coming on. This was so interesting to listen to. Yeah, Kyle, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Uh it's amazing that you have a connection with Maddie over there in Alaska. <laughs> and, so funny. Um, yeah. And yeah, that hour went by very quickly, but you know, we really, we really appreciate you sharing your, your path and, and some fun stories about when you started fishing and stuff. So it means a lot and we really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. I had a great time. Thanks for allowing me to, you know, share our story and, um, looking forward to the next one. Great. Thanks again. Folks, that was our conversation with Kyle Lee from Alaskan Salmon Company. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something. I had a ton of fun. It was a really good conversation, and uh, I hope you guys got something out of it as well. Before we go, remember, as we always say, to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you get your podcasts so you can get every episode delivered directly to your device as soon as it's released. You've heard it before, and you'll hear it again. Follow us on social at Aquademia Pod. If you want to reach directly to us, send us an email, podcast at Alliance. Org or visit aquaculturealliance.org. Go to Education Resources tab. Halfway down, you'll see a Contact Us button in the Aquadenia section. And be sure to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. So with that, we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Ciao.